This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book about women in faith is coming out this summer, and I want you to be the first to get all the details about it. Enjoy the show. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm excited today to be speaking with Sheila Gregor. Am I saying your name right, Sheila? I should have checked first. (laughs) Gregor. I know it's a weird one. French Canadian way back when. So. Okay. Okay. I did it. I did an okay job then. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on Sheila. Um, you crossed my radar must've been on Instagram. One of the socials, I think about a year or two ago, year and a half ago, maybe when, when you were getting mm-hmm. ready to launch your latest book. Um, and for good reason, you caught my attention. And so could you, uh, just give us a little background on who you are and what you write about, um, in, in this space. Yes. Um, uh, hold on. I'm sorry. You're fine. Um, yeah. So I have been writing about sex and marriage since around 2008. Um, but I, I sort of started as a mommy blogger. So I was more like organizing parenting and all those nice things. And then I found that the more that I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. So <laughs> I kind of became the sex person and I did, you know, a lot more research. I immersed myself more and, you know, journal articles and and figuring all this stuff out. And in 2012, um, my first sex book was out, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Um, A completely revamped version is coming out in March. So I'm excited about that for the 10th year anniversary. Um, And then I followed by with a bunch of different courses, libido course, orgasm course, 31 days to great sex, lots of things like that. Um, And so that's where I was for probably, you know, eight, 10 years was just trying to give healthy information. And then around two years ago, probably around the time you found me, um, my focus really started to shift. And I started to say, it's not enough just to give good information. um, Because I was starting to realize that a lot of the problems that people had were because they had believed things that were actually quite toxic. Mm -hmm. And you could never get past to find great sex until we dealt with that toxic stuff. So when did you realize, and and, I mean, do you think this is both a Christian thing or a Christian and a culture thing? I think it's definitely both. I was specifically looking at the Christian part of it, but a lot of the toxic teachings um, that I'm analyzing in my new book, The Great Sex Rescue, are really teachings or beliefs or whatever you want to call them um, that that are very much in our culture as well. They just may not be so explicitly taught in the same way. They're a little bit more in the water. <laughs> what are some of the lies or toxic things that you've seen people most most likely to believe? Um, well, what we did, so here, here's what we did for our survey. We um, 
we decided to, to do a huge study of primarily Christian women. So we studied 20,000 women. Um, we asked them everything about their marital and sexual satisfaction. And then we gave them like a whole bunch of different beliefs and asked, have you ever been taught this or have you ever believed it? And from that, we were able to compare women who did believe something with women who didn't believe something and see how that impacted their marriage and sex. And there were four big beliefs that we found were really harmful. There were other ones too, but there were four big ones that we dealt with in the great sex rescue. But if I were to like sum them up and say what, what's over all of them, I would say this line from the book, Love and Respect, which is the most used marriage study in North America. And this is how I got on this is one Friday afternoon in January of 2019, I was trying to procrastinate. I wasn't feeling that well. So I, I saw this Twitter fight going on where some women were saying, I need respect, not just love. And his whole thesis in his book is that women need love, but men need respect. And I thought, well, yeah, I need respect too. So I went and grabbed the book because I had it upstairs, but I'd never read it. And I turned to the sex chapter and that was when everything changed for me because I saw how toxic this was. And mm. one of the things he said was this line, if your husband is typical, he has a need you, you don't have. And that, I, I think of that kind of like Lord of the Rings, like the one ring to rule them all and the one ring to bind them, you know, like, like that idea <laughs> that sex is something that men need and women don't, that sex is something for men rather than for women is kind of overarching all of the other toxicity things. And it's this idea that sex is not for women. Sex is not a big desire for women. Sex is not a big deal to women, but it's something that is a super big deal to men. Yes. And I, so it was about a year and a half ago when I came upon your work and, and a couple of other people that do similar stuff where I started to recognize those things. And I go, and I started to see some of these books that you were bringing up and I was like, oh my gosh, I have love and respect in my room. And I've read it. <laughs> and I even read the Mark Driscoll book, which is oh, ouch. so bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So bad. And I started to realize and recognize so many things like that in many things that I had read and connect it so much because I had always like, for me, I had always connected my issues to purity culture, which is part of my issue. Mm -hmm. But when I started to recognize some of these things that you've been pointing out in your book and on your Instagram account, I was like, no, but that's also it. It's also me feeling like, like I have this, like, I'm basically just, I'm supposed to be used. Like I'm supposed to be just like mm -hmm. here, I'm here for this service or whatever. And being very mm -hmm. uncomfortable with that. And I started to, to realize like, Hey, it makes sense that you're not comfortable with that kind of thinking. It's not, it's not something that makes you feel good about yourself or makes you want to be involved in, in the act when you're thinking about it that way. So I started to recognize the toxicity of all of those books. And I even, I see all the time people recommending love and respect still. And I always call mm -hmm. it out and say like, don't read it. And then I realized that they still actually do like marriage conferences and all of these things. Yes. And I, and I didn't realize it was actually still extremely popular today as it was when I read mm -hmm. it like 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so you, so you recognize that's interesting that you started there. And so when did you mm -hmm. start doing this, um, 
thing where you find the quotes and then you rewrite them because that's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So for those of you who are listening on Instagram, if you go to my Instagram account, which is just Sheila Gregoire, um, I have this, this thing I do every now and then called fixed it for you. So I was actually going to do a Mark Driscoll one for real marriage tonight. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, where I take a quote from a really bad book and then, and then I fixed it. So, um, uh, you know, just as an example, there was one that I did from um, the book, His Needs, Her Needs, where the quote was, as one 32-year-old executive put it, um, I feel like I'm begging her or even raping her, but I can't help it. I need to make love. And I crossed out everything. Like I crossed out everything after raping her. And I, I said instead, um, you know, I feel like I'm begging her or even raping her, but then I stop because my need for sex does not outweigh my need to not rape my wife. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it is shocking. And I would never do that. Like, like it's ridiculous. The stuff that's in these books and yeah. It's, it's shocking to me, the stuff that you find, I will read it and go, how mm-hmm. was this like okayed by an editor? How did any Christian man think that this was okay to actually write down and put in a book? Like, it's like yeah. women have been done such a, I mean, disservice is a very minor term for what they've been done, you know, based on some mm-hmm. of the advice in these books. Um, so that's why I think it's so important that you're talking about it so openly. And But I noticed you had a, a post recently where you basically said that you've kind of been shut out of certain places because of what you've been saying and doing. Mm-hmm. Like you are Absolutely. maybe not invited places or you're kind of shunned because some of these people are very respected writers. So can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So, you know, um, <laughs> during those times where I was just simply trying to put out good information, I was on focus on the family on their um, radio broadcast three different times. Um, I had a lot of friends that were, and colleagues that were some of the authors that we ended up critiquing, like Shanti Feldin, um, Gary Thomas. We didn't critique him in The Great Sex Rescue. We've critiqued him in his book that came out more recently called Married Sex, which is highly problematic. Um, uh, but I, I had been good friends with all these. I was in that group. and But the issue was when I realized how toxic the marriage advice was, I knew that I had to do something about it. And this is going to sound really dumb. And, and I, I kick myself now for it. But I had just never read the other Christian marriage books before because I, I was always so afraid of plagiarizing. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that all the thoughts that I shared on my blog and, and in my books were my own. Um, and I just figured, well, they're Christians and I'm Christians and we all love Jesus. So we all must be saying the same thing. And it never occurred to me that it was this bad. Mm. Um, and then when I and, and I started to listen um, to all the commenters on my blog at, uh, at to love, honor, and vacuum.com. Um, and just hearing their stories and realizing, okay, there is something rotten in the state of Denmark or whatever, however that phrase goes, you know, and we need to do something about this. And that has not been well received. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping that if we could do a scientific survey that said, Hey, look guys, if you preach the obligation sex message, if you tell women you're obligated to give her husband sex whenever he wants it, she is far less likely to orgasm. Her libido goes down. Um, she is far more likely to experience vaginismus or primary sexual pain. This is an extremely toxic message. And I was hoping that when people heard that, that they would be like, oh, maybe we should stop doing it. 
Um, but instead, uh, people have threatened to sue us. They've put out statements against us. Focus on the family. Scrub their website of all my things, mm-hmm. of all my shows. You know, th- they're just they're really upset that we're critiquing other authors. Mm. Well, I, I think this is this is such a almost like its own very unique. It's such a unique space. It's not like you're like out there you know, critiquing random Christian books. Like these are all about a very specific topic, but I don't know how anyone could look at this stuff and see that it is not problematic. Um, You know, because this, this idea, this obligation sex that you're saying, like that, that is a hundred percent like how I what like have been my whole marriage, like being like, Oh, I, I I obviously I have to do this. Like this is, you know, I'm a bad mm-hmm. wife. That would be what I always used to say. I'm a bad wife if I, you know, say no or whatever. And that was really part of like what really was breaking me down until I really felt like I got freedom uh, about a year ago when I discovered some of your work and the work of Jana Denton House, who I've gone through her program. Um, and now I, it was like my eyes were open. It really was like waking up and being like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I've been reading and believing this stuff my entire life. And I, I, feel like I want to just evangelize about it to everyone, which is probably yeah. how you felt, you know, you, you wanted yeah. to tell people about it and and to have it received that way is like really discouraging. Did you, do you feel like this book, um, have you gained a lot of like popularity or like gotten a lot of yeah. new followers yeah. because of it? Absolutely. The funny thing is <laughs> our book is actually selling really well. Like it's, it's one of the best selling Christian sex books right now. Um, I mean, I'd love to see it sell better, but it's selling by word of mouth. No big name pastors have talked about it. Christian media has not covered it. Um, like we can't get any play anywhere, uh, but people are reading it and they're finding freedom. And if please, everybody listening right now, go on Amazon and just read the reviews. There's mm-hmm. over a thousand of them for the wow. great sex rescue. And it's story after story after story of women being set free. Um, let me tell you the story of Kay. Can I tell you about Kay's yeah. story? Because I yeah. love it. She's in, she's in the book. Um, and Kay believed what I call the 72 hour rule. And, and a lot of Christians, women will know what I mean. Like we're taught from, as we're getting ready for marriage, you know, in conferences that men need sex every 72 hours. (laughs) Um, it's in every man's battle It's in power of a praying wife. It's in sheet music. Um, it's in all kinds of our literature. I, I certainly was taught it at conferences that, that you should be having sex at least every 72 hours. This is vitally important. Um, when we were writing the great sex rescue, we scoured medical research to see like, is there something about hour 73 where he gets really grumpy or something? (laughs) And and, like, there's nothing in the medical literature. And we finally traced this idea back to James Dobson in 1977, where he just said it. And then all Christians followed it. Like you need to have sex every 72 hours. Um, so anyway, Kay believed this going into marriage and they actually had a really good sex life when they were first married, but then they had three kids. And after each kid, things got worse and worse. She had postpartum depression. um, And she just found that her libido didn't really return and her ability to orgasm really fell off. And after the third kid, sex was just awful for her. She hated it. She felt like it was only a duty, but she still initiated every 72 hours like she was supposed to. And a year into this, she was just despondent. And she was like, I can't do this anymore. And so she told her husband, I can't just have sex because you need it. And he was horrified. He said, I would never want you to do that. I don't want you to do anything that you don't want to do. I don't want this to be an obligation for you. So from now on, if we're in the middle 
of something and you want to stop, tell me and we will stop. Or if you don't want to do something, we're just not going to do it. And he proved to her over the next few weeks and months that he meant it. Mm-hmm. You know, she might start out thinking, I'm really going to enjoy this tonight. But if in the middle, she was like, no, and she stopped, he, he was okay with that. And as he did that, her libido returned and her ability to orgasm returned because she now knew this is a choice I'm making. It's not something that I'm doing because mm-hmm. I have to. Yeah. And so they, they've settled into a new routine now of having sex every 72 hours. <laughs> but, but this time it's because she wants to, not because she has to. And that has made all of the difference. Yeah. It's such a mental, it's so such a mental thing when it comes down to being like feeling obligated or not feeling obligated. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel, find, so in the group that I was, did a program with, there was, I mean, obviously the spectrum of husbands was very wide. <laughs> so you had mm-hmm. husbands that were extremely, uh, you know, compassionate, like that man that you described, but there were others that were kind of like, you know, had bought mm-hmm. into it. They, they were raised in this patriarchal mm-hmm. view of sex and, And so like, how big of a job is it to sort of convince men that this is not their right? Yeah. And that is the big, that's the, that's the big question. Um, A lot of men have read our book and found a lot of freedom. We also have a book for men coming out in March called the good guys guide to great sex. And I hope that's really going to help. But what I often tell women is this sex is vitally important in marriage. Yes. God made sex for marriage but we need to remember what sex is. Mm -hmm. Sex is not one-sided intercourse. You know, when God tells us do not deprive each other, he's not talking about do not deprive each other of one-sided intercourse. He's talking about not depriving each other of a sexual relationship. And biblically, a sexual relationship is something which is intimate You know, we know from Genesis 4, verse 1, that funny verse, and and Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived a son. And it's easy to laugh and think, oh, God's just embarrassed of using the real word there or something. (laughs) But, you know, the root for the word to know there is the same word that David uses when he says, search me and know me, oh God. You know, God is telling us sex is a deeply intimate thing. So we know that sex is intimate. We know from Song of Solomon that sex is pleasurable for both. And we know from 1 Corinthians 7 that it's mutual. So a sexual relationship in marriage should be something which is intimate, pleasurable, and mutual. If your needs are not being considered, if you feel emotionally distant during sex because you feel like he's just using you or he's acting out what he sees in porn, or if he never does any foreplay and you never reach orgasm, you are not required to keep giving him intercourse. And it's okay to say to your husband, "Hun, I want an amazing sex life with you, but I will no longer be used. Mm-hmm. And so we need to work this out so I don't feel used because God does not ask you to submit to being used, not in something which is supposed to be deeply intimate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, how much do you think that porn plays in uh, plays into, you know, sex having sort of an unhealthy vibe in marriage, I guess? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it. I mean, we're growing up in a pornographic culture. Porn is everywhere. And porn, even the existence of it makes women feel very unsafe. Um, and, 
And it, it, men can develop and women can develop as well. What I call, or what Andrew Bauman is called a pornified style of relating, where you see sex, sex is about objectifying, taking, um, getting what you can from someone, using someone rather than about a deep, intimate knowing. And when porn use is so widespread. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Um, it affects our sexual relationship. And unfortunately, so much of the messaging around sex in the Christian world has told women, hey, you're responsible to teach keep your guy from watching porn. Um, like one of the, one of the teachings that we measured was that a wife is obligated or a wife should have frequent sex with her husband to stop him from watching mm -hmm. porn. Yeah. That's certainly what every man's battle teaches. Like every, every man's battle literally called women, the methadone for your husband's sex addiction. Ah, like it literally so called women methadone. I know. And then, you know, this one we didn't look at because it was published only three months ago, but in Gary Thomas's book, married sex, he advises women to send naked pictures, text naked pictures to your husband, because then neurologically he won't want to look at naked pictures of someone else. Like it's, yeah. it's totally offensive and ridiculous. Yeah. And then, and then women feel like there's something wrong with them if they don't want to do those things. Like, you know, yeah. that, that example, like maybe some women would be like, cool. Yeah, I'm going to do that. But others, um, you know, maybe like that just makes me feel gross and uncomfortable and mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And for, for me, things like that in the past where I've been like, I don't, I'm not into something like that. I've always gone like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Um, yeah. there must, like what's, what's my deal that I don't want to you know do this thing that the sexy thing that people do. And it's just like, it also comes down to the fact that like, there's a spectrum of I'm going to say this wrong, but like a spectrum of like how sexual people are. Right. Have you read the book? Um, Emily. Oh, now I can't. Now I'm blanking. Nagoski. Come as you yes. are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That <laughs> book. That book was also very transformational for me because it helped me see that like there wasn't something wrong with me, that I was just <laughs> the way that I was. And, uh, you know, it's just different for everybody. And you're not supposed to be any certain way. You just are who you are. Um, and so yeah. I, I'm kind of on, I like went on a tangent there, but <laughs> my point is, um, yeah. just that I, I think people don't re people just automatically say like, there's something up with me when they don't realize that like, actually, no, there is nothing wrong with you and you should embrace who you are. So you can get your needs met. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, um, I think one of the benefits of Emily's book too, is, you know, she talks about different kinds of libidos, how we can have spontaneous versus responsive. Like some of us are just raring to go. Right. And some of us 
we might take some warming up. Like we're not really feeling sexy until you start the kissing or until something, you know, you start touching each other and then, and then your libido kicks in. It doesn't mean you're any less sexual. And that's something that we found as well. Um, When we, when we looked at how women felt after sex, okay. They felt equally good, whether they started off already aroused or whether they started off not aroused yet, but confident they were going to get there Mm -hmm. at the end, they felt the same. So it's not about whether you have more of a spontaneous libido where you're always hot and you just panting for him all the time, or maybe you're not like that. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if I feel like it tonight, but if we start kissing, I'll probably get there. You know, you're going to end up feeling the same way. And so it doesn't mean that you're less sexual if you're not as responsive. And I think one of the other important things to note um, is that not all women have a responsive libido and not all men have a spontaneous one. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the Christian church, we very much phrase it as men need sex. Women need love. Women need communication and talking and men need sex. And that's not a lot of people's experience. You know, we found only 58% of men had the higher libido in their marriage. 19% of women did. And then in 23%, it's shared. So this idea of this husband as a raging sex maniac is simply not the case in a lot of marriages. And even if he does have a higher libido, he's not necessarily a raging sex maniac. And yet that's yeah. how that he's often portrayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so to bring it back to the Christian um, side of things. So we've had in the past couple of years or a few years had sort of a reckoning with purity culture and we've broken it down and talked about it. And, you know, Joshua Harris has apologized so many times. Um, but uh, do you think that that sort of reckoning or recognizing what happened then is is helpful in, in making strides to see things in a more healthy way now, or are we sort of still stuck? I think we're seeing tremendous change. You know, we just did um, a cool survey, a new one. This one's not in the book. It's coming out in our mother daughter book next year, where we asked people about beliefs then versus now. And the shift is incredible especially Mm. among millennials. So many Mm. millennials grew up believing purity culture, but if you ask them what they believe now, it's like the polar opposite. So there's just a real shift towards understanding that we, we need to, we need to pry away everything that isn't of Jesus and just get back to what the essence of all of this is and get away from all the shame. What I think has happened is that there's been a big reckoning with purity culture. There hasn't necessarily been a recognition that our advice within marriage is simply an extension of that. And that's what we're trying to do in the great sex rescue. So, you know, we've sort of, we've sort of talked about how the way we talk to teenagers is bad and the way we do dating is bad or don't do dating or whatever, but what hasn't been addressed on a large scale is the advice that is then given to married people. And that's Mm -hmm. where we're really trying to change the conversation. And I hope the conversation is changing. No, I think you're so right because it's like, especially as a Christian, you're like, oh, well, once you're married, like basically everything's on the table. But the truth Mm -hmm. is that if something makes you feel uncomfortable, it doesn't matter if your husband is the one doing it. He doesn't have the right to do it if you don't like it or you don't want it that way or whatever. And I think people are very silent about things that they don't like because they feel like, uh, they're wrong or they don't want to disappoint their spouse or, or whatever. And, and people don't talk, nobody talks about this because it's like, you know, it's, it's sex. So people don't talk about it very openly. Yeah. You know um, what we, after our survey, 
we then created a 12 point rubric of healthy sexuality. So 12 markers of healthy sexuality. And we took the best-selling um, Christian marriage and sex books, 13 of the best-selling ones, and we rated them according to this rubric. And the marker that our books as a whole scored the worst on was the idea of obligation and coercion. And the one word that did not appear in any single book that we looked at was the word consent. Mm, it's it so interesting. Isn't there. Yeah. And many, many of our books even had stories of marital rape where they didn't acknowledge how bad it was. Like every man's battle said, you know, we know of some husbands that coerce their wives into sex, um, you know, two, three, even four times a day. If your husband is demanding sex more than once a day, that's wrong. So he's allowed to coerce you into sex once a day, but not more than that. There's a quota for coercion. Like it's really sick. And yet that book series sold 4 million copies. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So how do you deal with these people coming after you? I mean, you're just <laughs> quoting from their books. Like they, po- they wrote it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I know it, it's, that has not been the hard part because we were expecting that. Um, we were expecting the lawsuit threats. They can't sue us. We didn't say anything wrong. They can threaten. They can't actually sue us. Um, but we've had, we've had the lawsuit threats and stuff like that. What's been hard is the people that we thought would get it not even acknowledging our book exists. Mm. And the people that I thought did get it already, obviously not getting it. You know, like I was talking about Gary Thomas, who wrote Sacred Marriage and a bunch of other great marriage books. I actually thought he might write the foreword to Great Sex Rescue, but he read it and then distanced himself from us after that mm-hmm. because he just didn't agree with our take on porn primarily. And he also didn't agree with calling out other authors. You know, so like we said, hey, lust is not every man's battle. And and it's possible for men to look at women and respect them as whole human beings. And that's what we should be aiming for. And I guess that's a controversial message. Yeah, I I got um, emailed from a PR person about like, do you want to have, you know, this I'm promoting this book, Married Sex. And immediately I saw it and I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, I've heard bad things. Uh, you know, so I just, I was just passed on that one. So good to know. Um, what would be your, I guess, if you could sum up, what are a couple of tips or, you know, top line ideas that you would want to teach young people? I mean, it's like I'm raising a little girl and a little boy, and like, I am so intent on them having a different headspace than I ever did. And so what are some of the things that you think we should be teaching kids right now? Number one is whenever we talk about sex, stop making it gendered. That is mm-hmm. that that really is the heart of so many of the problems. You know, telling girls boys are going to push your sexual boundaries, telling boys, um, boys watch porn. Mm-hmm. You need to fight against porn. Do you know how many guys have started watching porn because they've been told by their youth group that all boys watch porn. And so yeah. if you're masculine, you're going to watch porn. Like I seriously, see that. I could see that. Oh my gosh. You know what, what I want us to say to teenagers is something more like this. Look, it is normal to have sexual feelings. You're going to have sexual feelings towards other people. Um, it's normal to want to have sex. It's normal, you know, to be attracted to someone, but you need to always respect other people as whole people made in the image of God and not objectify them. You must always treat other people with respect. And when you're dating, you must always, always honor the person's boundaries that you are with. 
And if someone, if you're in a relationship where someone doesn't honor your boundaries, that is a red flag that that relationship is not safe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just say this kind of information where sexual feelings are normal and noticing is not lusting. You know, we tell tell young people all the time that we, we cause so much shame because so much of what they're going through is just biologically wired. You know, boys get erections to milk cartons, like to anything, you know, when they're 13, right? Like it just yeah. happens. Yeah. And when they start to think I am a sick individual, um, it creates a hypervigilance and a shame cycle that can actually make lust more common. You know, mm-hmm. so let's just talk about how it's normal to have sexual feelings, but but um, dwelling on someone, imagining someone like that is not treating them with respect. And our utmost, our utmost value is treating other people as whole people made in the image of God. And let's set that as the expectation without shaming sexual feelings. And let's also not shame girls for having sexual feelings because mm-hmm. the whole talk in the church about how girls don't need sex, that's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And is one of the big reasons that women don't want sex is because we've been labeled the gatekeepers where we need to make sure nothing happens to us, which a lot of that is valid, (laughs) but a lot of it also has some psychological repercussions and ramifications that don't need to be there. Um, You know, so I think, I think talking to our kids differently about this and not using shame language, acknowledging sexual feelings are real and not making things gendered is a huge, would be a huge uh, win. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Who are some of the people that you do like to read. Uh, you, you've mentioned <laughs> that there are some good books out there. Do you have any that you can say that you would think are are worth reading besides yours, of course? Yeah, I mean, of the 13, 13 books that we looked at, um, Gift of Sex by the Penners was great. I think that's an awesome book. Um, uh, Boundaries in Marriage was great. Another awesome book. Uh, in terms of like guys, Andrew Bauman and Michael John Cusick, uh, Michael John Cusick's book, Surfing for God, is a really good one for quitting porn if you're a guy. Um, and then, of course, in March, we're going to have some new ones out, a new version of The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which are more, you know, great sex rescue is let's burn it all down. Let's figure out how we've gone wrong and let's fix it. The Good Girl's Guide and The Good Guy's Guide are more guides to what is right. And mm-hmm. let's do this right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and just, I guess, last question would just be, have you you know, do you get a lot of good feedback from, from women that sort of are thankful for the work that you're doing? That is the only thing that keeps me going. (laughs) I mean, me, I'm always commenting on your posts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that is the only thing that keeps me going because we do get a lot of flack from a lot of different sides. Um, So seeing the reviews on Amazon, seeing the, the direct messages is really, is really affirming because even if the powers that be never get it, I think God is shaking the church right now. And he's raising up a new generation of leaders. that's going to look very different because we we're, we don't want the old power structures. We just want to treat each other, you know, as fellow human beings where it's not about, it's not about, hopefully it's not about celebrity. It's not about power. It's not about maintaining power. It's just about, let's figure out the truth. Let's point people to Jesus and let's be healthy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's coming out right now. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, I'm very excited and I'm excited to promote your book and your work. And, um, you know, that's to, to have a to have a book be a bestseller by word of mouth. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Like that's yeah. 
that's literally the way everybody wants, you know, everybody wants their book to sell that way. So who cares if, you know, the big name people (laughs) aren't willing to put it up, like if it's good and it is like people are talking about it, like that's awesome. So thank you, Sheila, so much for your time and your message. I really appreciate everything you're doing. I can't wait to read uh, your next book. Well, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.